0: Welcome back to the program. I'm often the first to criticize the way in which we're too quick these days to put things in political context. Too often the rush to label red or blue America gets us into nothing but trouble. But one aspect seems to hold. We are bluer politically as we get closer to the water. Look at any map, and coastal America seems to simply have a different mindset. Perhaps it's because water and proximity to water makes a difference. That it impacts us in profound ways that stem from our evolutionary biology and extend into our health, happiness, and holistic view of the world. We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Wallace Nichols. He's a research associate at the California Academy of Science. He's the founder of OceanRevolution.org. And he believes profoundly that being in and around and near water makes a difference. He's written about it in his new book, Blue Mind, and it is my pleasure to welcome Wallace Nichols to the program today to talk about Blue Mind. Wallace, thanks so much for joining us. You bet. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to have you here. In many ways, we've always romanticized the idea of of being near the ocean, being around the ocean, the the creativity that, that maybe comes from that. But much of what you're dealing with and what you talk about in Blue Mind is not a romanticized notion, but real scientific evidence that this makes a profound difference.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, we've, we've known that water makes us feel different and better for a very long time. You can look, look through, through the history of art and even photography and see you know, water paintings, water images, water poetry. So the poetry and the art of Blue Mind is very well developed. But the science is less so. And so I was curious about that. If this really is um, a real thing, if Blue Mind is, in fact, measurable, uh, who's measured it? And how have they done so? And so I started poking around and I found some, some pretty cool stuff and pulled it all together and wrote a book about it which, you know, wasn't already in the library, fortunately. And
0: when we look at this and we look at this blue mind, do we have to be talking about the oceans or can we be talking about lakes or rivers or really any bodies of water?
1: Yes, any, any body of water, whatever your water is that, that gets you there. So for some people, it's a, it's a bathtub. For some people, it's the, the glass of water first thing in the morning that they consciously and, and thoughtfully drink, uh, I live right next to the Pacific Ocean and near Mill Creek, so those two bodies of water are, are my waters. Everybody's got a different, a different answer. It could be a, a, uh, a pond on the farm uh, where you grew up. Uh, it's, so it, it varies from person to person, but there's always something special about your water. It's your touchstone. It's the place you go to celebrate, uh, to fall in love, and then at the end of life to mourn and to grieve and to contemplate uh, your your own existence.
0: To what extent does it really impact mindset and, and one's worldview? I mean, if we look at coastal America, if we just take America, for example, and we look at coastal regions versus Oklahoma, Nebraska, the, the middle of the country that's not necessarily around a whole yeah. lot of water, you do see a difference in the way people see the world.
1: Yeah, there, you know, there's a... Uh, to understand blue mind, I, I often start with the understanding of red mind. And red mind is, is the phrase I used to describe, a kind of agitated, um, maybe narrowed uh, tunnel vision view. You've got your blinders on because you need to. There's a, there's a fight or flight response and you know maybe too much information coming in and you're, you're engaged and you're on, certainly not relaxed and creative. Blue mind is the opposite of that. Both are necessary. We need to have red mind in the right time, and the right place to escape danger, to get away from the lion, so to speak. But we also need blue mind because if we live in red mind all the time, uh, we get sick. Our our cells uh, and our neurons suffer. So it's, you know, our lives are kind of a a mix of red mind and blue mind. Uh, If you have all of either of them, you're going to be in trouble. So it turns out that that state that I call blue mind that is mildly meditative, more relaxed, more contemplative, uh, is facilitated by being in, on, or under, or near water. Uh, And at the core of that is the feeling of awe and wonderment. And, you know, again, that sounds like poetry, but there are scientists who are studying the science, the psychology, the neuroscience of awe and wonderment. And it turns out nature is, is a great place to get your awe. Uh, music, uh, architecture, also work, art. But nature is the number one source of awe. And within you know, the category that we call nature, water is the big category that gives people awe. So just thinking about being uh, floating on the water, or being at the edge of the water, a rushing river, a big lake, a sunset over the ocean, and that feeling of awe that, that fills you. So the interesting thing is awe, the feeling of awe sets you up for compassion and empathy. It neurologically, it psychologically shifts you into a place where you are more open to the other, uh, to what's outside of yourself. And you know, if, if there's a political component to that, it's the one that suggests, wow, we need to take care of each other. We need to take care of the surroundings, we need to take care of nature, the sky, the soil, the water. We need to take care of all that. We need to take care of our food, we need to take care of the children and the people who can't take care of themselves. And that's empathy and compassion. So in as much as awe can shift uh, us to become more empathetic and water is the number one source of awe, your hypothesis that people who live near large bodies of water uh, may be more more empathetic is, is a pretty good one.
0: How much of this is primal? How much of this is as, as a result of evolutionary biology?
1: The core of the conversation about Blue Mind, it starts there. And in, I guess the best way to, to um, describe that is let's just move outside of the human realm and think about non-human animals. What they need to do is position themselves uh, relative to a source of water Uh, reliable source of water, clean source of water. So that means they need to know what water looks like, what it sounds like, how to get there, and then how to maintain that location. And so they need a sensory input, but then they need a a response, an emotional response, if you will. They need a, a physiological response to that sensory input. So when they see water or hear water, they need to have a positive emotional response, chemical response, to that stimuli, which says, this is good. This water is good. I'm going to stay in this area. And the stakes are very, very high. If you get that wrong, you die. If you don't have water, you don't live for three days. You you don't live beyond three days. So carry that over to humans. Well, we, we would also have to have that set of skills. We would also have to have a positive association with the sound or seeing a body of water and put ourselves in, in the right place. Because if three days go by and we don't have water, we're in really big trouble. Unlike a lot of other things that are, you know, become a little more optional uh, or come after water, like food, very important, and shelter. Uh, and, you know, love, social, uh, social lives, all of those things start to kind of follow. But water is number one. And so from an evolutionary perspective, hygiene and hydration are incredibly important we need a reliable source of water we need to be able to position ourselves relative to that water uh, accurately and so there is certainly an evolutionary component uh, and it isn't um, restricted just to humans Uh, a fox needs to be able to find water Uh, your your dog your your pet needs to be able to find its water otherwise there's a lot of trouble
0: One of the other aspects of this is both the cognitive and the emotional benefit. And in this area, there's really clear scientific research and brain imaging that has been done to really codify this.
1: Yeah, there's been a a big wave of research recently on uh, human performance and and how we can be at our best, Uh, a much better understanding of uh, multitasking, the myth of multitasking, um, the overstimulation, body, the onslaught of, of sensory information uh, and what that does to us. And so there's that huge, huge realm, that huge body of, of neuropsychological research. And there's an increasing body of work of research on what happens to us when we step away, when we step outside, when we go for a walk, in nature, in the forest. And in particular, when we take a walk by water, when we spend time at the edge, if you will, away from all of the information. And what happens when we step away, we, we allow our minds to wander, to do daydreaming, and it turns out that's really good to do. It's really good to break away and let your mind wander. Uh, as kids, we used to do that all the time because we didn't have a supercomputer in our pocket everywhere we went. So if we started drifting off, we our minds just went, and we we call that creativity. Uh, nowadays, if you if your mind starts to drift, you pick up the phone and and you open up an app <laughs> and you play around and with Angry Birds or whatever the the replacement app has become to that one, and there isn't really as much of a chance to just let your mind wander in whichever direction it goes you we've always kind of got that together so it turns out that switching over to blue mind or uh what scientists call the default mode network is a good thing to do it's restorative it's contemplative it's creative it gives us the chance for those aha moments Uh, gives us a chance for insight uh, and even innovation so artists poets musicians scientists, entrepreneurs, engineers all understand that they need that, that mental break uh, and that restoration. And I, you know, I think water's one of the best places to get it. And so it's not surprising when people think about their, their perfect vacation. There's often a, a large body of water involved. Uh, there's a, a good spot next to that water. Um, when they think of the, the, the best place to take their loved ones. Uh, to go on a romantic getaway, uh, maybe a honeymoon. uh, There's often warm water involved. So there's something really sort of deep, and not just a a marketing job that's been done on us. I think it goes back a a lot further than Madison Avenue uh, marketing campaigns.
0: What about when it's combined with a more urban experience? I mean, if you're sitting there on the Upper West Side of New York looking out at, in, into the Hudson River or at a new startup in Venice, California looking towards the water? What about when those two things are combined?
1: Yeah, so not everybody you know, is going to be living at the edge of a, a river or on, on a cliff over the Pacific Ocean, that's for sure. And so people who are living in, in more urban environments uh, also need to take time out, and maybe it means going down uh, a few floors and and walking to the river uh, during your lunch break or getting out you know at the edge of Lake Michigan in Chicago uh, you know whenever you can throughout the day maybe holding a meeting uh, out by a fountain perhaps in the lobby or in a courtyard or a public fountain uh, there's lots of urban water to be uh, visited and be appreciated and I think just Having the the mindset that you're going to do that at some point during the day instead of sitting in a in a crowded lunch uh, hall or a noisy restaurant, you're going to go and have a meal by your by your local river. Uh, I was recently in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh's not known for the health of its rivers, but they're beginning to bring them back to life, and people are now spending their their lunch breaks. Down by the river, they're they're holding ceremonies at the edge of the water. Uh, kids are dropping kayaks into the river, and ten years ago, that would have, that would have been laughable. Uh, now it's happening, and it's ch- really changing the way people who live in Pittsburgh experience life uh, for the better. Uh, it's giving it's giving the city a um, kind of a whole new lifeblood, uh, of, you know, the blue lines. Running uh, in a healthy way through through their downtown, and it you know it isn't just real estate value, although it affects real estate value. It's also the cognitive, emotional, psychological, social, and even spiritual well-being of our urban areas. So as we bring back the urban blue, we're bringing so much more back to our cities than uh, simply uh, real estate values and. And water to view property values.
0: The other part of it is that you talk about the impact not only of water, but the color blue itself.
1: Yeah, you know, if you just paint a wall blue, that's going to shift the way you, you feel. I mean, color turns out is very important uh, to the way we feel. Uh, marketers have known this for a long time. If you go into a, a fast food restaurant, chances are it's not blue and purple, Chance are, chances are it's it's red, orange, and yellow, or some, some uh, you know, predominant uh, component is, is those colors. So marketers have known for a long time that you know, color influences our emotions, and they would like to uh, uh, control our emotions uh, from time to time, uh, I'm sure. So once you start to understand that just about yourself, that you, you, know, you are the owner of your own brain, your emotions, uh, you can manipulate your, the color in your own environment uh, to influence your your health and well-being. So blue tends to be more calming because it does give us a signal of openness, gives us a signal of open sky or open water. And those sort of primal um, feelings of, of well-being, uh, that there's water, that there's openness, um, changes your thoughts. So you know, and there are times where you, you probably want some red around or you want to you know, get yourself excited and, and, and maybe a little even agitated to get across the finish line or to get across uh, the deadline, uh, but not all the time. You don't want to be in red mind all the time. You have to balance that out.
0: What does the science tell us about the neuroscience of this and and the drops in cortisol level that we've seen, the degree to which water therapy is being used in certain conditions, and and really the the scientific and and medical impact of this? Yeah, so being near and on and
1: underwater, particularly uh, calm, warm water, changes our physiology. It it calms us. Uh, It slows our heart rate. It slows our breathing rate. Uh, it can drop our, our levels of cortisol, and it can drop our levels of a chemical called cytokines. And so what happens when the levels are higher is that uh, healing is impeded because those chemicals uh, increase inflammation, and inflammation slows healing. So when we, when we slow our breathing, uh, when we calm down, uh, our heart rate drops, our cortisol and cytokine level drops our healing is enhanced. And that has really profound impl- implications for public health. Uh, if we have a, uh, a group of medical doctors, uh, health practitioners, nurses that understand that healthy waterways, nature, color, music, uh, human touch are all part of their toolkit, along with Western medicine, along with the pharmaceuticals, along with the therapies that are already uh, in, in the toolkit. We can add to that toolkit in ways that are inexpensive and largely available to all of us. We can, we can learn to adjust our, our physiologies. We can learn to be the, you know, the true owners of our, of our brains. We understand how our, our, our minds and our brains and our bodies work and how to m- manipulate them. In positive ways, uh, that's a that's a good thing. So this generation is, in fact, the the first generation to have a, a decent user's guide to our own brains, which is a, a huge idea. Uh, our kids should be taught uh, to be neuro literate and to use that knowledge as a you know, a way to, to live a better life. Uh, so, I've, you know, we've seen um, veterans who are, are dealing with post traumatic stress and uh, maybe a, a, a lack of sleep uh, and all, you know the, all the medical problems that come from that we've seen them have really profound and uh, life changing experiences once they reconnect with their waterways whether that's kayak fishing on a river or a lake or surfing on the ocean um, some of these men and women have Gotten their first good night of sleep since returning from active duty uh, after spending a day or several days on the water.
0: What and th-
1: that you know that that those therapies can be used alongside of you know what they're already uh, doing, and we've seen them dial back on their their pharmaceuticals, um, take lower doses, or or even uh, get rid of some of the pills that they're they're taking altogether.
0: One of the things we often hear with respect to being near water or, or away from water inland is this impact of positive ions, negative ions. What is that all about in this context?
1: Yeah, so there's some research on uh, the influence of, of negative ions on our, our um, ability to relax, on our, our, again, on our heart rate and breathing rate. Um, when we are at the edge of the water, um, you, you are dealing with a uh, kind of a a, a wave or an onslaught of negative ions and and that basically comes from the, the smashing together of water molecules uh, it may be because of a, a waterfall it may be because of the waves um, at the beach. Um, I talk to surfers who say when they're in in the tube which means you know the, the wave is breaking over them and they're kind of surfing through the tube uh, the air the quality of the air is completely different and energized in a way that's, that's not like anywhere else. They're surrounded by um, negative ions and, and also this water vapor that is, is in the air. So there's something about that that's you know, unique to being by the water, of course, uh, those negative ions that are, are created by the, the little sma- smashing together of, of water molecules.
0: What is the impact? What does science tell us about the impact of, on creativity?
1: Creativity is is you know kind of like the the holy grail of of uh, brain research these days. Everybody's trying to um, you know crack the code or or um, you know find the key to to creativity. Uh, one of the things we do know is that that break, that mind wandering, uh, that daydreaming, that mental break, that restorative moment when we can step away from red mind into blue mind is, is really important. Uh, and the water component or the blue component uh, is, is also really important. So what I, you know, what I try to explain is that when we, when we lose our healthy rivers, when we lose our healthy lakes and our healthy oceans, we aren't just losing biodiversity. We aren't just losing... Um, a source of, of drinking water; those are both very important. It isn't just harmful to our economy, and it is certainly that. But it's also harming our our source of creativity. It's harming our source of for romance. It's harming our our source of relaxation. And we live in a time when creativity is incredibly important. We have some big problems to solve. We need as much Creativity and innovation is possible. Um, Silicon Valley is surrounded by water, uh, although a lot of the, the folks living there uh, are completely unaware of, <laughs> of their water, that their head da- heads down in in a screen. Uh, but I, you know, I I think wow, this is an incredible source of creativity. Uh, if Google would, you know, instill a, a water break. Um, not just to go to the drinking fountain or grab a, a bottle of water, but to, to go out to the edge of the water and think or, or meet. Um, perhaps that, that would boost their, their, uh, their creative output. But, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's one source of creativity. Uh, I worked on a film with the, the musician Pharrell Williams, and he kicks off the film by saying that he owes his creativity uh, in his career to the ocean. It was a source of, of rhythm and the source of creativity as a kid growing up in, in Virginia Beach. And that's a message I think we need to share with young people, is that the apps that you have in your face are not the place to find creat- creativity. You need to put your head up, you need to walk outside and, and get to the edge and, and look out there. Maybe touch the water, listen, listen to the sound of it. Uh, look around and and uh, spend some time in in nature. Uh, it's, you know, it sounds you know kind of corny, but it, it's true. You know, some of the great ideas uh, of all time have come when people have have reconnected to, the, to their wild waterways.
0: So the app that uh, has the picture of and the sounds of the waterfall is not quite going to cut it the same way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I you know people say you know maybe more films, more more ocean apps. I'm not against. Media. I'm not saying we should. I mean, I was inspired by Jacques Cousteau's uh, movies and TV programs. Those are important, but they're very two-dimensional. Uh, there's nothing better than just getting out there and and seeing what happens in wild nature. Um, you know, an app that somebody somebody developed or a film that's already in the can is is uh, you know still good, but not nearly as good as 15 seconds uh, immersed in in wild water i put that 15 seconds in wild water real wild water up against you know, any documentary film and so I, you know, I just want everybody to get out and, and touch their water to reconnect with it and, and to pay attention to it uh, not just to watch movies about it
0: how do swimming pools fit into this equation
1: well, swimming pools are another source of submergence. They're you know, a place of serenity. People go and sit by the pool and relax. Uh, and they're also the place where you learn to swim. You, you get in the water for the first time. You jump off the side and graduate to the diving board. Uh, you learn to doggy paddle. You learn to float on your back. You learn to tread water. So that when you get to the edge of bigger wild water, uh, you have the skill set that allows you to explore it, allows you to dive down, to learn the scuba dive, to learn the kayak and surf, and to be safe doing so. Uh, those swimming pools are you know, the gateway to Bigger Blue Mind, I like to say. And here's a, you know, an interesting thing. We're, we're closing down public pools. We're, we're unfunding public pools uh, at, at kind of an alarming rate. And I think that's going to create a... Uh, a generation of kids that aren't comfortable in their own bodies in the water. And that may seem trivial, but it has profound implications. If if people uh, don't know what it feels like to be underwater or to be submerged, uh, then it's going to be a lot harder to convince them to, to work and fight for our wild waterways and for our oceans. Uh, so I think our public pools are... Are incredibly important, keeping them open, uh, keeping them staffed with with competent lifeguards and swim instructors, so that we've got a you know a generation more and more swimmers, uh, divers, uh, people who like to you know, get out and recreate on the water safely. I think those pools are are where that all begins.
0: Wallace J. Nichols, the book is Blue Mind: The Surprising Science That Shows How Being Near in, on, or underwater can make you happier, healthier, more connected, and better at what you do. Wallace, I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Well, thank you again for inviting me. It's it's always uh, fun to talk about water with you.
0: Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.